What do you think is the best sitcom? So this this depends on how we define sitcom. Uh, because you've got you've got of course your multicam or your single cam sitcoms. You can lump them together. They're both they're all sitcoms. So until season four, I would have said Arrested Development. Okay, but you think season four tarnishes? I do. Yeah. Uh, I think I think season four shows me flaws that existed in the first three seasons that I was not able to see. Mm. That's way worse than just season four wasn't that great. Yeah, that's it. It stinks when that happens. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you, you watch it and you go, oh, okay. Um, now we've had this discussion about best versus favorite, and I think that's important. Right. Um, I'm asking best. I know. I know you're asking best. Does a sitcom have to be 30 minutes? Uh, no, but please tell me an example of one that's not. Well, I, my favorite and arguably the best show that is comedic, but is not 30 minutes long, is Slings and Arrows. I'm not familiar. It's a British show about a theater festival. Not British. Canadian show about a theater festival in Canada. Is it a sitcom? Is it a situational comedy? Well, that's why I had to ask. What are you defining as a sitcom? It's a... It's a... <laughs> that's... The, I gotta ask. Like, right, how are you defining? Well, because... Well, define art, okay? I don't know. <laughs> that which we make to make ourselves better. Is that your definition for art? No, but it sounded good, right? For half a second, it sounded <laughs> good before I thought about it. <laughs> I mean, science makes us better. Yeah. So it's art. Science is an art. No, science is more of an art than a science. <laughs> I, I hate that phrase. <laughs> um, uh, best man. Yeah, that is hard because, uh, although I did, I did like season four of Arrested Development. Yeah. I would say, if Arrested Development was seasons one through three, it's the best sitcom. I did say that when it was season one through three. Yeah. Um, Shows I would put up there, but have not seen all of, so have trouble. You know, you're gonna you're gonna question. That's why this that I that's yeah. why I think this is valid because you're not fully capable of judging a thing without knowing. Why all do of I have it. to? But so judging it is one thing. Being a fan of it isn't about judging it. It's maybe, about loving it. Maybe that's my problem. Is I tie uh, appreciating a thing with judging it. Yeah. Too closely. Yeah, that's why you don't see a distinction between best and favorite. I do. I do kind see of. that distinction. <laughs> but you prefer best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you prefer knowing the best over someone's favorite. You found the crux. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, before season four, I would have said Arrested Development. Um, man. I mean, I, I'm tempted to say things like MASH, Cheers. Seinfeld, like those are all so good. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two seasons of Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> Scrubs is a show I haven't really seen. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I like Scrubs a lot. And I've seen some incredibly funny. There's some great episodes of Scrubs. Bits of Scrubs, but overall it just feels like a show I don't think I like. Scrubs did not age well. 
Yeah. Like, there's some still really good episodes, but there's a lot of it that I'm like, when I watch it again, like, if I'll, I, I pull stuff up that I've seen before on Netflix. I'm like, yeah, I'll watch an episode of this, going to think about it. Mm. And when I've rewatched Scrubs, it's been like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny is there's a there's a book that just came out called TV the Book, uh, where where two critics um, using a very strong systematic method decided what the best TV shows of the lot or the best hundred TV shows are. Interesting. Yeah, there was a five way tie for number one. It doesn't sound like a very good system. Well, so the system it was a point based system, so they rated each show independent of everything else on like six or seven different metrics, mm-hmm. um, and the top five had the exact same score do you know what they were um i can name at least three of them off the top of my head uh simpsons sopranos deadwood breaking bad and another one hmm i don't know what the other one was never really seen the simpsons can you believe that uh yeah because you've never seen seinfeld (laughs) uh you've never seen a lot of things so i kind of can believe that I have uh, the first four or five seasons on DVD of Simpsons as well, if you'd like to borrow those. Surprisingly, like, the way I treat television is, like, uh, if I miss the beginning, like, I'll just wait till it ends. Yeah. And then (laughs) if it turns out, if it was really good. You can't do that on The Simpsons. I'll watch it. If it turns out it didn't end well, I'll just ignore it. Uh, Simpsons still hasn't ended. Like, I'm still waiting (laughs) to know if it's worth it to start watching The Simpsons or not. It's worth it. <laughs> also, you don't have to start at the beginning. That's the opposite of how I be- how I treat television. I know it is, but which is which is understandable in the world of Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or even The Sopranos, but not The Simpsons. But not for other shows that existed before them. Like serialization and TV shows didn't exist in the nineties, right? No, like, I know that. Okay. I mean, it's sort of like soap operas. Right. And even then, you could jump in, in the middle because they were designed for that. Because they're bad. No, because they're designed that you don't <laughs> have to know what's going on. Um, man, best sitcom. I'm tempted to say The Simpsons. Like, that's that's up there. That's fair. Um, As someone who hasn't seen The Simpsons, yeah. I think I have to say 30 Rock. Because I think thir- I would not say Thirty. Because I think Thirty Rock is. I know you love Thirty Rock. I love I love Thirty Rock. It's also one of my favorite. Yeah, which is different. It is, but I, I think Thirty Rock is a. It's such a distillation of what a sitcom is, because it's not. It is very, very, very much like not serialized yeah like there's there's barely a running story Mm -hmm. there's barely character development yeah like it's not trying to Mm -hmm. do anything other than make an episode where people get into a crazy situation and funny jokes happen yeah it is certainly Uh, that and i think it's just incredibly good at that yeah and and so like i have i've sampled mash and mash is great Mm -hmm. i've sampled seinfeld and seinfeld is great Mm -hmm. um one that i've really not watched since i was a child and couldn't understand it was the mary tyler moore show like Mm. i suspect that's one of the best sitcoms of all time i've seen a little bit of that on tv land yeah but that's my experience it was like i saw it on tv land when i was a kid and didn't right understand comedy right but there are some scenes that i've seen since then that are that are amazing 
uh, there's a scene set at a clown's funeral. <laughs> that sounds funny already. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's an amazing scene in Taxi that I've seen on the internet a couple times where Christopher Lloyd's character is applying for a driver's license. Okay. Um, and it's it's very character-driven, but um, it's about the incompetence of his character and how like mm. the whole team is trying to help him like cheat on this test. <laughs> it's a written test. And it's got like jokes like, what's, what's your, what do you got for the first one? It's like, it's your name. <laughs> like that's sort of like, that's sort of really strong humor. Right, right, right. Um, it's very much driven by an ensemble. But man, there's stuff like news radio is great. I've heard that that's really good. News radio is really good. Uh, and I've, again, I've, I've dabbled in most of these. Right. But I've, I've, I'm not a completionist. Like if that's not obvious immediately, like I'm right. not a completionist. Ah. Uh, uh, but that's so different for me because I feel like I will like I'm I I can't even hold an opinion in my brain because I feel like I'm unqualified to hold it unless I've completed the thing. <laughs> you can judge things as you go. Like I was not able to hold an opinion on Seinfeld when I had seen ninety percent of Seinfeld bits and pieces of <laughs> yeah. a bunch of Seinfeld yeah. until I watched all of Seinfeld and then was like. Okay, I finished all seasons of Seinfeld. Now I can understand how I think about it. <laughs> what did you think of the finale of Seinfeld? Um, I don't remember it very specifically. That's the problem with binge watching is you don't really remember the individual episodes. You kind of because I watched the finale of Seinfeld when it aired. Uh, it was weird, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it finaled well. No, it did not finale well. I remember it, it not finale. finaleing well. It's a bad finale. Yeah. They got put on trial. Oh, that. Yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah. It, it finaled in a way that was very uncharacteristic yeah. of Seinfeld. It was, it was a bad it was a bad finale. As opposed to a uh, hmm, good finale. Uh, Sopranos. I haven't seen it. I haven't either. On the list. I know the finale. Controversial finale. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. Office for a sitcom. Yeah. I think finale well. I didn't. I've, I've watched the first season of the office and like a smattering of episodes after that that's unusual for an american of your age yeah yeah well so what's funny is at one point in time i was more of a completionist than i am now okay um and so like i and this was back when the dvd existed uh which made it much more (laughs) difficult to be a completionist the what (laughs) (laughs) i bought the Office season one and two on DVD on Craigslist. So as much as I'm opposed in college, to, as much as I'm opposed to physical media, uh, I started watching The Office on DVD, checked out from my college library. That's pretty cool. Yeah, college libraries are great. Oh man, so libraries much good stuff. are great, right? Yeah. Give it up for libraries. This episode brought to you by your public library. Thanks, libraries. They opened up. Uh, they reopened the public library uh, on Duval. Oh, really? No, not Duval. The other one. Amherst. Cool. Like a minute away. Yeah. I went like a month ago when it opened. Super cool. Yeah, libraries are great. Did you know there's tons of stuff at a library for you to enjoy? Uh, I have like four books on hold for me at the local library right now. (laughs) Because my first instinct when someone recommends things is like, oh, I'll I'll see if the library has it. And then I put it on hold. Yeah, it's easy to forget that you don't have to get everything from the internet. Yeah. You can go to your library. I have lots of, and library does digital and audio books as well. So if you want, if you have a Kindle, you want to send your book to the Kindle, you can do that. Yeah, you don't have to go to the library to get books out of the library. (laughs) 
So what did you get at the library? Recently? No, how did we talk about libraries? Where was this going? Um, you got the office from the library. I got That's the office got from the library. Yeah. Yes, DVDs. DVDs. You watched yeah. the thing on DVD. But I. So yeah, I, it's weird because I'm I'm a completionist. I'm more of a completionist if I can watch a thing as it goes, rather than if I have to catch up on it. So this is an interesting thing. So what? I mentioned mother. I mentioned earlier. I started watching How I Met Your Mother the, my freshman year of college, which was the first year it was on. And I saw the pilot of it when it aired. Like, I started watching that show the day it aired. Okay. Uh, and How I Met Your Mother starts with an amazing... It's, it's a great pilot. Uh, it's, it's a nearly pitch-perfect pilot. Okay. Uh, and it has one of the best endings of a pilot I've seen in a long time. I have not seen a second of How I Met I know Your you Mother. Have. But you know the premise of How I Met Your Mother. It's, it's in the title. meeting a mother. Yeah. That's, it's in the title of the show. Okay. Um, and the pilot episode is about the main character who's telling the story to his kids mm-hmm. uh, meeting this woman. Okay. And, uh, you know, things kind of go around and it gets to the end. And it says, and that, kids, is the story of How I Met Your Aunt Robin. <laughs> that's not the name and of they the go show. what <laughs> and what was brilliant about that's it, how the episode ends that's how the episode ends that is pretty good and he goes I told you it's a long story <laughs> uh, the narrator by the way who's telling the story is played by Bob Saget who is not on screen at any point in time he's just doing the voice yeah he's not in the show right yeah he's the narrator well he doesn't appear in the show yeah. okay he's the narrator okay interesting um, but what was brilliant about this in the moment like it's a good ending regardless but was in the brilliant about it in the moment was all of the experience or all of the, the experience the all of the media around it the advertisements set it up to be that robin was the mother like it led you to believe like they showed you certain scenes they led you things that you knew that's like oh it's okay that and that's going to go on from there and it's going to be whatever and so, in such a way that when you get to the end of that moment you have the exact same experience you go what Aunt Robin. Right. And then they spent the next nine years not having him meet the mother, which was a bit of a problem. Well, I mean, that's the problem of, uh, of sitcoms where you just have to dilly-dally. Well, so the thing is they, they had a couple choices. Um, and we know this now in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a couple choices where they could have – And people were talking about this like in the later years of the show. It was really suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, where they could like have him meet the mother and she becomes part of the cast. And then they just keep going. Like That could have happened. And that would have been fine. But they stretched out every single possible thing. And they had like tons of near misses and sort of implications of like, your mom was in that classroom I was teaching in, but I didn't meet her then, so let's move on. <laughs> um, and these sorts of things... Uh, and literally the last season of the TV ep- series was set over the course of a single weekend. A whole season? Yes. Which could have been brilliant, but, but failed in a lot of ways. <laughs> could have been brilliant. Yeah. Failed in a lot of ways. Uh, and literally, like, the last thing, more or less, in the episode of the finale is him meeting this woman. Who's been in the season. Like, she's shown up a few times. Like, we've seen her... And other characters have met her. Okay. But he hasn't. And so that was the 
whatever in right. that last season, which took place over the course of a weekend. They're sort of circling each other, and that was it was a super clever idea. But it was way easier for me to watch that show over the course of nine years and like watch it as it was happening uh-huh. than it would be for me to sit down and binge watch it. You think so? Yeah, I'm terrible at binge watching things. Oh, I'm real good at it. Yeah. It's very weird to me that we share a lot of uh, taste in things, <laughs> but we have really, really strong differences in how we consume stuff. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I did binge watch How I Met Your Mother after the fact. Now, like, not after it ended, but um, I introduced Amy to it. Okay. Because uh, I had it all on DVD, because this was back in the age of DVDs. Uh-huh. Um, when, we, when we started hanging out together back in grad school, I said, hey, you should check out this show I like. Yeah. And we watched the first three or four seasons on DVD, like, one after another. Just episode, 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 episode. Right. Uh, but I'd already seen it then. It was much easier for me to binge watch it a second time. Mm. Uh, and, but then I watched it. And she stopped caring about the show, like, four or five seasons in, and I just kept going. Hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so why don't you like Breaking Bad? Uh, and you said you've seen all of it. I've seen all of it. Did you watch it as it aired? I did, and that's how I stuck with it. It was because it was easier for me to watch one episode every so often. So very quickly, yeah. Uh, I like Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. It's, I consider it to be one of the better shows that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I binge watched. How did it work? It was like seasons one through five, and then was season six, six was split in like half. split in two. Yeah. So like I watched, I binge watched seasons one through five, and then I watched season six as it aired. Okay. Um, and I really liked it, and I've since rewatched it, mm-hmm. like a year or two later. Yeah. Uh, like rewatched it very quickly. Yeah. In like a couple weeks. Yeah. And again, thought it was really good. So, this is that distinction that we have. I think Breaking Bad is a very good TV show. Okay. Don't really like it. Okay. Um, and I don't really like it because it is, I can appreciate that it's well made and it's well acted. And it's, mm-hmm. it's an, well, here's where I struggle is I don't think it's a very interesting story. Because. Really? Yeah. So. The, the the name of the show and the premise of the show says, hey, this is a guy who's going to make meth. And, you know, the, when they were making it, they said, we're going to turn Mr. Chips into Scarface. Like, that was the premise. And I am a, a oh, guys, it sounds so pretentious, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm a student of plot. Okay. Um, and I mean that literally because that's what my dissertation was on, structural <laughs> dramaturgy. Okay. I you, study, are, you are qualified to say that. I study <laughs> plot structures and how they work. Okay. And I can appreciate a show that is done really well, but I am less interested if it gets there in a way that I expect. Okay. And Breaking Bad never surprised me. And I and I say that in in a way of sense like certain things mm-hmm. would happen that were maybe unexpected or shocking or I think bringing shocking that shocked a lot. But none of the things that happened, none of the decisions were made from a character standpoint or from a larger plot standpoint, were things that I wouldn't have guessed were going to happen. 
which which some would argue is the is the mark of a well-made TV series from the first moment of the show to the last moment every single step of the way makes logical sense. Right. And that's valid. But I want to show that makes logical sense from the first to the last where I can't guess where we're going to get at the end from the first episode. I get that. And I could tell where we were going to end up from the beginning of Breaking Bad. Because the the pilot goes through, like, he partners with Jesse and he's going to cook math. But even, even, let's say, the first season. Right. Let's say the end of the first season, from the moment he puts on the hat Uh in, I think, season one or season two. Right. Like, the trajectory of the show is set. And it never, ever deviated from that. I agree with that. And I find that boring. So, I get that. Okay, that makes sense to me. But that also, what you're not saying is that the way I see it, the amazing stuff that happens along the way Mm -hmm. wasn't good enough to keep you interested. Yeah. Like, the... What, like I think there are some amazing episodes. I think there's some amazing episodes. But like it was it wasn't enough for it to like become a standout television show for you. No. I watched Breaking Bad because I felt like I had to. There that that's fair. There was a lot of pressure to be like, hey, if you like TV show and you're not watching Breaking Bad, well fuck you. Like yeah. you better be watching Breaking Bad. And that Bad. makes sense. Fly, an amazing episode of television. And that's I think that's always usually pulled out as That's what it's what I pull. Well a lot of people hate it. One of its so. best. I think it's one of the best. I think it's a fantastic episode and, of TV. And I, I remember watching it before I knew yeah. what it was yeah. and just being blown away by it. Yeah. Um, and and that... That's Ryan Johnson, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is a deviation. That is doing something interesting with the medium and with the story. It's That's a very um, self-contained... Yeah, it's a bottle episode. Episode, yeah. But it's, a, but it's, a, it's an episode where... Arguably nothing happens. Except really, really, really expanding on the relationship between yeah. the characters. Which is what a lot of bottle episodes do. But that's what I like in a TV show. It's something that, that plays with the form. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this is related. Uh, I am so sick and tired of, of anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Particularly like the the... Privileged white dude getting all the getting going Get, going rogue, getting down and dirty, Breaking Bad, and I think, <laughs> and so this is this is in Breaking Bad's favor. I think Breaking Bad destroyed the antihero from a textual standpoint. Like nobody who watched Breaking Bad should go, oh, I'm gonna have an antihero as my main character again. They have, and people still do it, and they're wrong <laughs> because by the end of the series. And, and the thing that makes me mad, in addition to Breaking Bad not being the show that I love, mm-hmm. is the, a lot of people who think love Breaking Bad don't get it. By the end of the series, Walter White is the villain. He, he was the villain the whole time. Well, yes. <laughs> but you, you become aware of that. Right. Right. But while I was watching the last season of it, which was at the same time you were watching the last season of it, so many people were... Like mad at Skyler, 
or couldn't understand like oh, this sort of stuff. Yeah, I forgot. There were there were people rooting for Walter White. I forgot about that controversy. Yeah, there were people who like who wanted him to succeed. And one of so one of the strengths in the middle seasons mm-hmm. is when the show makes the viewer feel conflict between whether or not you want to be rooting yeah. for or That's rooting good TV. against. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. like if you're discerning, you see that Walter White is the villain and doing bad stuff. Yeah. Like he's cooking meth and lying. Eventually murdering people. And murdering like, yeah. and lying to people. Like he's doing bad things. But one, I think one of the strengths of the middle part yeah. is when it makes you feel conflict where it can make you empathize and in a way root for him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it, when it does that consciously and makes you feel like yeah. you shouldn't be like, I think that's effective. But you're right. At the end, like I remember, like, was it Ozymandias? Yeah. When uh, he, like the violence erupts between yeah. him and Skylar. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of viewers who were... Like who hated, who hated Skyler, and that's totally wrong. Yeah, like it should be a hundred percent plainly clear that Walter White is bad, and you should be actively rooting against him. Yeah, at that point, with the with the knowledge that in the past you've struggled with your feelings towards Walter, Mm -hmm. like that's how the show wanted. Yeah, that's 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 how wanted to be. I don't know if it succeeded the whole time, and that's and so I struggle with that and. And I'm always going to be on the outskirts on this. Like, I know that. That's fine. But yeah. I I also have no desire to revisit it, ever. I feel the same. Like, I don't know if I'm ever yeah. going to watch it again, but for different reasons. Yeah. For me, like, I watched it, and then I binged it a year or two later. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, because it's just too intense. Yeah. It's too much for me. Um like I think it's really good, and it is one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows because I liked watching it while I watched it so yeah. much. But like I remember um, last season or second to last season, there's a moment, there's a scene where um, it really like finalizes the destruction of Jesse, yeah, as a character, yeah, when they the like the bad guys the gang like they take jesse in the car to his girlfriend's house and like one of them knocks on the door and like she steps outside Mm -hmm. and they're like yeah like jesse's in the car like you need to go talk to him and then they just shoot her in the head yeah do you remember that yeah vaguely and and you and but then as soon as they shoot her in the head you get like 30 seconds of jesse like his mouth is duct taped or whatever, yeah. like tied up yeah. in the backseat of a car, just screaming and wailing. Yeah. And it's like, like the amount of sorrow you feel mm-hmm. in that scene is like overwhelming. Yeah. Like, I don't remember feeling anything like that before. Yeah, that was, I think it was last, and that was the, the split season. And in a way, like that's what I like is the wrong word. I think that's what I appreciate about the show yeah. is its uncompromising ability to go to extremes mm-hmm. and how it, makes you feel emotionally yeah um but i don't ever want to feel that again you know what i mean i do but so I, I, think... I appreciate that it was capable of getting there yeah but i don't want to experience it anymore See, i almost feel so like that that same sort of thing like what that reminds me of like that that scene or that that action um was 
indicative of a problem I struggled with throughout the last season. So you remember the the, the last season starts. It's like the first half of the last season starts with uh, Walter White like opening up his trunk and you see the machine gun. And yeah, you're like, yeah. what's that gonna be? <laughs> yeah. Like, where is this going? Right. How does he... And then you watch more and more, and you're going, how does this end with him getting a machine gun? Yeah. Like, wh- how does this get to there? Like, how do we get from A to B? Yeah. And what's funny, I wrote an interview with, with the creators a couple years later, or maybe a year, I don't remember when, um, saying, like, when they put that machine gun in his trunk, they didn't know how it was going to get there. Like, that was a challenge they created for themselves. Oh, really? Which is something they did repeatedly throughout the show, is they would create challenges and sort of, like, how are we going to get out of this? Like, how are we going to deal with it? Which is, which is wow, really cool. Like, that's a neat thing to be able to do as a, as a writer. That would scare me as a creator. Um, <laughs> but what they did was then they created the neo-Nazis, which were so flat to me. Like, they were just, oh, these folks are evil. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something like Gus, who yeah. is a complex, robust character. Mm-hmm. And the best antagonist, I'm going to say instead of villain. Right, best antagonist. best antagonist in the show. In the yeah. show. And when he was gone, the show didn't know how to beat that or to match that and did not succeed. Well, I think when Gus was gone, it stepped up Walt being the villain. Well, so, yeah, that was, that was again, like another step on this wave. Like, yes, Walt, Walt's the bad guy. Right. Figure that out now. You should be aware if you haven't caught on yet. Right. Walt's the bad guy. But they had to give him, because of he, the way narrative works, if you're going to have a protagonist, you have to have an antagonist. Right. And so they had to have somebody for him to fight against. And it couldn't be Jesse anymore because Jesse was so completely destroyed and ineffectual. And so they created, like, oh, neo-Nazis. We'll we'll bring in Meth Damon. Right. And uh, who was way better as Landry in Friday Night Lights, which I think is a better show than than, uh, Breaking Bad. Mm, One I haven't seen, but I've heard good things about. It's great. It's It's also, like, about football. It's not, though. (laughs) As someone who... Cares none about football. Zero amount of football do I care about. It's an amazing show. Okay. Because what it is is a show about small town Texas. Mm, still not interesting. <laughs> it's an amazing show. Yeah, I'll probably watch it sometime. Um, but Meth Damon's in it. As... Yeah, the the neo-Nazis were... It's cartoonish. Cartoonish? Yeah, It, but it felt like a different show. Yeah. Like, it wasn't Breaking Bad-ish anymore. Because Breaking Bad was always about normal people. Mm-hmm. Even even Gus yeah. was just the owner. He was a businessman. He was the owner of a chicken fast food place. Yeah. Right? El Pollo Loco? No. Uh, uh, Pollo Hermanos? Something like that. Yeah. Chicken Brothers. Yeah. But, uh, and then the neo-Nazis were just like, oh, wait, oh, I guess all of a sudden now we have neo-Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. I and like. I, and weirdly... I think Orange is the New Black season four also suffered because of the introduction of neo-Nazis. Interesting. Yeah. In uh, different ways, but both. Wait, uh, what a coincidence. I think modern day America is suffering <laughs> because of the reintroduction of neo-Nazis. I'm sensing a theme here. Maybe. Neo-Nazis make things bad? Neo-Nazis aren't. Aren't, aren't so great? Aren't that good. I'm going to have so to that's think. That's a ab- bold statement. I'm going to have to think about this one a little bit. <laughs> 
Watch out, neo-Nazis. I think we got you figured got the, out. Got the hot take over here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and so I can appreciate Breaking Bad, but I didn't particularly enjoy it when I was watching it. I felt like I was watching out of obligation more so than because it was exciting or interesting to follow. And I don't, like, I want a show that surprises me. That's fair. And I have a response to that, by the way. Yeah? What is it? Um, I think, like what you said earlier, where from the first episode, first mm-hmm. season, the conclusion of the show isn't surprising. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's something that disappoints mm-hmm. you. The journey of the show disappoints me. Okay. So not just the conclusion. The conclusion is part of that. Uh-huh. Like, when I was trying to explain, like, my malaise about it when I was talking to other people while the show was on, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, he's going to die at the end. And I said that, like, because because it was true. Like, I knew that. And, and I'm not trying to predict because Because it's a Aristotelian tragedy. It's fairly obvious. Like, that's that's the only way this show can end. Right. Um, but my point was that, like, that the whole show felt like that. Like, that it's the only way the show can go. Okay. Um, partially because I think maybe the writers were painting themselves into corners and then there was only one way out and they had to figure out what that is and that's the way they took. Okay. But continue. What's the adjective of Aristotle that you just used? Uh, it's an Aristotelian. Aristotelian? Yeah. Okay. Do you think Aris, Do you think Aristotelian tragedies suffer for the same reason? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that's a strength. <laughs> And I, I understand and value your belief in that. So I think that's kind of the whole point, right? That's I think that's a conscious decision mm-hmm. and meant to be very deliberate. And I consider it to be a really, really big value yeah. of the show where, like, you are watching the show from the very beginning and you're watching this chain of poor decisions by this horrible man yeah. and knowing that his only conclusion mm-hmm. and the only way this ever ends for him mm-hmm. without an uh, irrational and unbelievable redemption mm-hmm. this story ends with his destruction yeah and the destruction of everything he loves and holds mm-hmm. dear knowing that throughout the show and then watching it happen mm-hmm. I think is whether or not that's good or bad is at least the point yeah right i i agree i do not disagree at all like that's what the show set out to do and it accomplished it and that and that is how it communicates its ethic Mm -hmm. right it's Mm -hmm. saying that like you cannot go down this road Mm -hmm. without the destruction of yourself and i absolutely and and that's part of what i like about it so like it really does end with like everything walt touches burns yeah like absolutely Jesse is a waste of a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife and children are estranged yeah. from him, and their lives are mostly ruined. Mm-hmm. His wife's sister and husband, their lives are destroyed. Yeah. He destroys many lives just routinely. By creating along, lots of meth. Along the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then in the end, his life is destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are all valid things that the show is attempting to do and succeeding at doing. Yeah. And this is kind of where I get that distinction of best versus favorite. Like, so I can right. absolutely, Breaking Bad is an amazing television show. 
But, and this is literally the thing I wrote about in my dissertation. <laughs> literally the thing I wrote about in my dissertation. Wait, like literally about Breaking Bad? No, but about plot structures. Okay. Um, Breaking Bad had it, had it, had not ended when I finished my dissertation. Okay. So I think I think there was still more. Maybe it had. I don't know. Yeah, because I was in Austin when it ended. But so that so a plot that makes sense the whole way, in that traditional Aristotelian tragedy sort of way, mm-hmm. is is valid and is honest and is internally consistent and that's great. Mm-hmm. What is better this is opinion this is not a fact but this is the thing i put forward and said that the, like the best things should have this uh-huh. is a plot that surprises you as you go through it but when you look back makes perfect sense um i agree that that sounds like a better type of thing mm-hmm. um is there any- i was is I was there an example of that being spe- of that being in, done in my dissertation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 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 play I referenced was a play called The Comedians. Okay. Um, which you I don't expect you to know, but that was that was one of the ones I used as a as a descriptive point. But um, yeah, like how how do you do that successfully? Like, is there something I would know that does that? Hamlet does that. I would argue. Okay. Um, I mean, Romeo and Juliet, I think, does to a certain extent as well. That's it's a more complex reason why I think that. Um, hmm. But Hamlet, like the basically the first thing that happens in Hamlet is Hamlet meets his ghost dad, right? And his ghost dad says, "Hey, kill your uncle." Right. Um, and the rest of the play is about Hamlet killing his uncle. Okay. And at the end, Hamlet kills his uncle. And also dies, and so does everybody else around him. Like traditional tragedy, like that's right. That's the structure. Everyone tries real hard, and they all die anyway. Mm-hmm. I do. I love stories like that. Yeah, <laughs> but there are moments in Hamlet that are, if you don't know Hamlet the entire way, like so much of the world does, there are moments in Hamlet that surprise and don't make sense until after the fact. Um, so, for example, uh, one of Hamlet's soliloquies, I think it's in the third act. Man, I'm a nerd. Uh, I, I don't know Hamlet very well that's at okay. all. That's okay. Um, there's a scene in Hamlet where he stumbles upon his uncle in a vulnerable position. His uncle is, his uncle is uh, praying and is, I think, confessing his sins even, is the, even step further. Okay. But is, is praying. And, and Hamlet finds him as such and his uncle doesn't realize he's there and Hamlet's like oh I could just kill him right now right here's my obvious opportunity um and he doesn't and the reason he says he doesn't is well if I kill him right now he's gonna go to heaven because he just 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 praying and (laughs) I don't want I don't want that to happen um, but the deeper reason is is more complex and we don't fully understand it until the end and that ties into the sort of question of Hamlet's sanity and the the uh, hamartia, the the tragic flaw within the character, which is his, his inability to move to action. Um, Hamlet cannot make a decision. Hmm. To be or not to be, literally the soliloquy to not to be to be or not to be, is about whether or not Hamlet should kill himself. Like he's right. trying to decide whether or not he should kill him. Like literally. 
should I be alive or should I be dead? Right. And that very central monologue is about his flaw, is he chooses, he doesn't choose. He can't choose. He cannot be spurred into action. It's why he was unable to finish his classes and came home in disgrace, is he couldn't make decisions. He couldn't do anything. Hmm. Um, And that is the story of Hamlet. Arguably, he's crazy. He's also crazy, but that's a that's a different interpretation. Okay. And so, if you were thinking the traditional, let's say Aristotelian tragedy, uh, you would say, "Oh, Hamlet, he finds his uncle, he kills him, but then bad things happen because somebody finds out, or there's you know the the consequences thereof of his actions exist, because you think you're going to watch a revenge play, mm-hmm. and that's not unusual for revenge plays right. is you know, somebody commits revenge and then bad things happen. Right. Uh, that's that's pretty typical. Or they commit revenge and it ends. Like, that's also an option. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which the, the text of Hamlet talks about. Because there is in Hamlet a troupe of actors who put on a play. About revenge. About revenge. Interesting. Uh, and murder. It's called The Murder of Gonzago. That exists within the larger text of Hamlet. Man, it's been a long time since I read Hamlet. I don't remember this. (laughs) It's a really good play. Uh, So I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Who's it by? Was it uh, one, uh, was it uh, Will? Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon, that's right. Christopher Marlowe. (laughs) One of the other university wits. Um, and, And so when you get to the end... And, and you, you see all this sort of destruction, things like that. And the, the fact that he didn't kill his uncle then makes more sense because it's a, you realize it's not about the revenge. Right. It's about the inaction. It's about the failure to move. So, and how that failure caused worse destruction. So when the play starts and sets up, mm-hmm. you just, like, you ex- your expectation is this is a play about Hamlet killing his uncle. I mean, the play basically and, tells you that. And the bad like, stuff yeah. that will happen. Right. Yeah. But then by the time it ends, mm-hmm. and only when it ends, are you able to see that it's about well, it's, it's, you his get, own internal so conflict about have, inaction? Well, no, you, you see that in action throughout. But when, when you get to the end, you look back and you go, oh, that all makes more sense because... But I didn't understand at the time. Not knowledge at the end is illuminating yeah. to prior events. Yes. Okay. Um, so, so I'm trying to think of another example I used from my thesis. <laughs> not what I expected to talk about tonight. <laughs> is your thesis publicly available? It's on the internet. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read it. That's okay. It's not, <laughs> it's not worth it. I'm not interested uh, in it's, reading a college thesis. Not, I'm not super happy with it, but it's it exists. So there's that. Um. Uh, so, any any theatrical work or any fictional work or any performance at all mm-hmm. um, sets up at least one question when it begins. That's that's what compels us to watch it. Right. What is going to happen? It is a super broad version of that, or what is going on, or how will this end? Right. Um. Like in in Breaking Bad, it's like, can he get away with this? Yeah, arguably. 
That's um, the compelling yeah, question. Yeah. Why Why should I stick around to watch this? Is because I want to know what is going to happen. What is going to be the conclusion? Right. Um, and so, and there, there are actually a series of questions that get brought up throughout that, which are moment to moment. Um, you know, what is happening now versus what, you know, what is the, the impact of this going to be in 10 minutes? Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, what's, a, what's a good example that is well known? <laughs> yeah, you probably have lots of examples that are not well known. I do. Known I have all. lots of examples from, like, well, The Comedians, again, was the primary one I used, which was a play about a class of comedians, like people learning to be stand-up comedians in a night school sort of class. Uh-huh. Um, and... Like the play opens with a guy coming into class. It's his first class, and you're like, "Is he? Is he? You know, why is he here? What is he gonna get out of it?" Um, and you know, what does this play exist? Heck, the the plays I wrote were about Joan of Arc. Like they're about the trial of Joan of Arc. Oh, really? And yes. Um, I wrote three plays about the trial of Joan of Arc. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, that was the other half of my thesis. And so those those are the examples I also used throughout my thesis. It was like, hey, in, in this play I wrote, you can see this thing I'm talking about. Uh, so the expectation, you know, in the trial of Joan of Arc, if you're going to go see a play called The Trial of Joan of Arc, you want to, you're going to find out is Joan of Arc guilty or not, right? Like you're you that's that's the, you know or what's going to happen, and you almost go into it knowing okay, I know Joan of Arc, I know she's going to die at the end, right? She gets burned at the stake. She gets burned right? at the stake. Yeah. And so the question isn't like what's going to happen to Joan of Arc, it's you know how do we get to there, and the play unveils multiple things that people didn't expect or challenges their expectations or challenges expectations that were set up earlier in the play or earlier in the piece and you go oh i thought thing was like a but it's actually like b do you know why joan of arc was was killed do you know why no i know very little would you would you take a guess can i tell you that the most exposure to joan of arc i have was Uh uh her being a hero character in the windows pc game age of empires 2 wow that's all you know about joan of arc i mean like i'm familiar with her that she okay. led the french against okay. a thing and was burned to the stake uh, when she was very young okay but most of my connection is her being is age, a, of empires? Is age of empires yeah it's a good game i believe you i've never played it <laughs> so you, so you don't have any guesses to why she was killed no None whatsoever. That's weird. It's a thing I feel like I should have known I want more you to, about. I want you to watch a performance of my play because... I bet it would be very the, the educational. The premise of my play is most people know how Joan of Arc, like why Joan of Arc died. <laughs> um, and they're wrong about it. Joan of Arc um, was visited by angels as a child mm-hmm. uh, and was told by these angels as, as servants of God that she needed to help the king of France reclaim his throne. There's a civil war going on. Is it 30 years of war? I should know that. Might have been 100 years of war. Too many European wars. A lot of, a lot of wars. Um, and she'd been visited by these these angels throughout her life. Okay. Um, and she then, using the knowledge that they granted her, led troops and did not fight. Um, as a very young woman. As a very young woman. Yeah. Like teenager. Right. Um, like when she died, she was a teenager. I'm pretty sure. The, the problem is the transcripts were, were uh, doctored, oh. which is something I deal with in the actual play. <laughs> um, is that there was two trials of Joan of Arc, uh, one many years later before she became a saint, um, hmm. because the first one found her maybe guilty of heresy um, for claiming to see these angels. Um, they were trying to prove that she did not. Mm. She was just claiming it, and uh, perhaps even uh, demonic spirits 
she led this army and she um, picked the king out of a crowd, like the king in exile. She found him in like a crowd and was like, that's the king. And so I was like, how do you know? He's like, well, he's got a, he's got a giant golden crown floating above his head. <laughs> and people are like, uh, no. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's him. Uh, and so I had these, these uh, and these are all things that she claimed and told people about. Um, but she uh, never actually fought. Uh, she, she carried a banner. She also wore men's clothing throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was, you know, leading the armies and things like that. And the end of the trial happens, and she gets an offer, basically. It's like, hey, we found you guilty, but because this is a matter of the church, uh, if you will, you know, publicly say you're guilty and confess your sins, uh, we'll, you know, we'll let you go. It'll be cool. Uh, oh, also, you have to stop wearing men's clothing. <laughs> sure. Because uh, that's, that's not right. Give it a couple hundred years, and we'll start dealing with that one again. Yeah. Um, and so she did. Now, what she, she, she went out publicly and read a statement. The statement she read is not the statement that's on record. Okay. How in do, the transcript. How do, how do we know then? Because witnesses described what she said. Okay. Um, and they said what she said was maybe 30 words long. The statement we have is like three pages long. Okay. Uh, so we have a strong suspicion that what she said was not what is on record as her being said. Um, and in one version of my play, all you see is her go up on stage and read the canonical statement. Mm-hmm. That is what is in the record without any sort of contrasting opinion on that. Um, and then um, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my ways. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I'm not going to wear women, men's clothing anymore. And I'm going to stop pretending I see angels. <laughs> um, which is probably not what she actually said. Right. And so she went back to prison while they were finishing up things or deciding what they were going to do. And they took away her clothing, her women's clothing that they had given her during the trial mm-hmm. and gave her back the men's clothing. Okay. Basically forcing her to wear that. Forcing her to do the wrong thing in mm-hmm. their eyes. Because okay. she was being tried by enemies of the king. Okay. And so when she was burned at the stake, it was not for being a heretic, but for wearing men's clothing. Which she was essentially forced to yeah. do. Also in the original transcript, we didn't know she was forced to do that. That came out again in the second trial. Hmm. Um, in the original transcript, it says, oh, she went back to wearing women's clothing, so we killed her. <laughs> what year was this happening? 15s? 15, 14th century? Yeah, 1500s. Good times. Yeah. Back then. Um, and so so the premise of, of one of my versions of this play uh-huh. is <clears throat> like, oh, you have this expectation and, and she, she gets killed at the end for wearing men's clothing, mm-hmm. which is not what you expect. You expect to be killed for wearing, uh, or for being a heretic and for claiming to see angels, which right. she did not see because we know because we're the members of the church and so we know what angels are and aren't talking to people. And we can decide what someone else's experience yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the, the third version of the play, I'm skipping the second one for reasons, um, <laughs> is interspersed with commentary from her second trial where the witnesses came out and said, that's not what she said. Uh, we forced her to wear the other clothing. Mm. Like, And the second trial was taking place 
after the king that she helped had taken back his throne. And so he was now in power. And so there are two different trials, one when her his enemy was in power and one when he was in power. Hmm. Um, and so that expectation. I don't know if any of us explained my theory of like how plots are supposed to work. I don't know if it did, but I was very interested to learn more <laughs> about good. Joan of Arc. I'm glad. Would you care to elaborate, or should I? I I've run out of things. That's like, fine. Uh, but yeah, no. So, but the expect you you set up an, an expectation. You set you set up a question with a potentially expected answer, and when you finally answer that question later on, the answer should be surprising but makes sense. Or is it okay? So you don't think it's okay for the answer to be expected, but derived in a surprising way? No, that's that's valid as that's, well. Okay. That's valid as well. But if if but if the answer is is the one expected and it's derived in a completely expected way, the question becomes, why am I here? So my my answer to that, to why you're yeah. here in that situation, which is a very Breaking Bad situation, yeah. is if the journey to get there even though very expected is really 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 well made <laughs> i still think it's pretty valuable yeah which is aside from like story and character mm -hmm. qualities of breaking bad yeah uh like the technical yeah the spectacle side of it like the way that show is shot yeah and it's edited, all beautiful like it's great there are there's incredible talent on display there. Yeah. And I think that's also a very separate, uh, worthwhile way to enjoy the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's valid. Yeah. It's not for me. But it's a it's a totally <laughs> it's a totally different yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, because there are bad shows and bad movies that have incredible talent on display, and there are mm -hmm. great things that have yeah. much less talent on display. Absolutely. And it, they're just completely separate yeah. considerations. Or they, or they can be. Yeah. yeah. And and I think Breaking Bad is considered to be so great because all because I think all of the time there's tons of talent on display mm -hmm. in the creation of it, yeah, technically, and a lot of the time there's a lot of great value in the story, yeah. For me, here's another perspective uh, that is not maybe something you will understand. Um, I think Breaking Bad was supposed to destroy the antihero, but instead. Mm -hmm. It, it fostered like 30 more. Um, Which is not Breaking Bad's fault, but I have trouble hold, not holding it against it. It's not uh, It's not Breaking Bad's fault because it did a really good job destroying the anti-hero. Right? Um, but everyone took away the wrong lessons. That's mostly capitalism's fault. Yes. Um, because <laughs> whenever a show is wildly successful mm -hmm. in the way Breaking Bad was you're just going to get a lot of people trying to copy it. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, that's half the problem. The other half is what I call the fight club problem. <laughs> um, where the, uh, the fans of a thing mm -hmm. uh, are the kind of people that the creators of the thing are making fun of <laughs> and they don't realize it. <laughs> Uh, and I think I always consider Fight Club the prime example. Yeah, where, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, uh, the people the, there's a kind of fan of Fight Club, which is unfortunately most of the fans of Fight yeah. Club who idolize uh, Tyler Durden. Yes, yes, uh, and don't realize they got that soap poster on their wall in college, and they're really excited about it. <laughs> God, and don't realize that Tyler Durden is 
Toxic, is, toxic masculinity writ large. <laughs> it, it, it is that yeah. and is derided by the movie the yes. entire time. Yes. But the fans of that movie are too dumb to realize <laughs> that and just think he's... He's just cool. He's super cool. He's got, a, he's got a fight club, man. So it's a similar problem with Breaking Bad where people just think Walter White is cool because he's a powerful man doing what he wants, yeah. making a lot of money. Being super selfish. Right? Yeah, like being yeah. selfish. And like and and there's very, very, very few admirable things about Walter White. Yeah. But all of those things are portrayed in a way where you're supposed to think he's shitty. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who just idolize him for it anyway. Yeah. Okay, I will say this. So this is you know, getting back to my, my opinion of it. I will say that Breaking Bad does succeed in showing me that Walter White was always a terrible person. Mm. Which is something that I don't know that I expected at the beginning of the show. That's the thing that is more illuminated at the yeah. end. Yeah. I'll give you when that. Looks at the beginning because you look, you look at the beginning. It's like oh, he's a school teacher. Oh, he works at a car wash. Oh, he's got lung cancer. Oh, he's kind of he's got a rough life. You know, I, I'm sympathetic. I feel bad for right. him. Season one, it's like man, he's just he's just trying he's to help his family, doing yeah. something extreme to get by. Yeah. No, he was always shitty. And and I think the show does succeed in going. No, that guy you thought no, he was an asshole from day one. Mm. He was always terrible. I never thought about that. And I think that. The show is attempting to do that, and I think for the for a certain part it succeeds because you say he is the villain from the beginning of the show. Right. He does not become the villain. At some point, you realize he's the villain. Right. And ideally, you realize that he has been the whole time. And yeah, unfortunately, Fight Club problem. A lot of fans of the show are so dumb that they don't realize that whoever the momentary antagonist is isn't necessarily the villain yeah because at some points the antagonist is gus yeah great antagonist mm -hmm. at some points the antagonist is his wife skylar yeah the all the antagonist is is someone who makes who puts obstacles in the way of the protagonist right and and the protagonist is traditionally seen as the good guy like that's that's joseph campbell and the hero with a thousand faces and that's why the uh, anti-hero became such a successful trope because it flipped that yeah it's like on his head yeah, yeah. except for traditional anti-heroes you still kind of root for him you're like yeah, he, yeah he's got a heart of gold or yeah he's doing the bad thing but he's doing it for the right reason and apparently that's or, like how the sopranos works yeah which i haven't seen yeah uh yeah. I, I have not seen all of the sopranos but i've seen the first season and a half or so yeah um, and yeah, and and Tony Soprano is does sort of have that heart of gold perspective. He's just trying to help his family. He's got a lot of mental problems, like he's he's got anxiety and depression and things like that. And he is goes it, to see a shrink. Yeah, he sees a shrink a lot in the show, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so that's that sort of humanizing element you have. And and Tony Soprano is much more of a traditional anti-hero in that respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, he's you know, yeah, yeah, he's the head of the mob, but you know, he's a nice guy, or yeah, he's taking after, he's taking care of his wife, or things like that. Right. Um, and I don't think by the end of it that you like you hate Tony Soprano or realize that he was the villain the whole time or things like that. He stay he maintains the protagonism. Right. And that sort of quote unquote good guy perspective. Mm -hmm. You're still rooting for him by the end of the show. If you're still rooting for Walter White at the end of Breaking Bad, you're doing it wrong. Like, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite recent example of this is the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. Which I have not seen. Um, 
It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, typical Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very typical Scorsese. Very like exploring the depths of depravity of yeah. one character yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it's just the, like Hugo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. That's what Hugo's about. I was thinking more um, The Departed and shoot. Taxi wait. Driver? Raging Bull? Taxi, I haven't seen Raging Bull. Taxi Driver is Goodfellas, Scorsese? Yeah. Okay, yeah, him. Yeah. Um, I had a moment where I was about to like doubt my cred very deeply. <laughs> fake um, geek. Um, yes, I'm a fake geek girl. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, Wolf of Wall Street is that is a perfect example of that where um, Wolf of Wall Street is a pretty good movie and I think it does a pretty good job of like making you realize how shitty of a character that mm-hmm. person is and how bad the things he believes in are. Yeah. Like g- greed at all costs and like that's mm-hmm. that's the primary one. Like like greed is bad and you should not be like this person. Okay. Except most of the fans of Wolf of Wall Street are people who idolize <laughs> hyper greedy wall street yeah. kinds of people and so they they perceive that movie as a celebration as aspirational as aspirational and encouraging to what they value which is amazing because what that means is they see text and they just don't see subtext at all i think it's such a fascinating problem where a creator of a thing can try very hard mm-hmm. and be very good yeah. at portraying a type of character misread as bad. And it's not that some people misread it. But lots it's of people. <laughs> the majority and primary fan of a thing misunderstands it. <laughs> is a misunderstanding of yeah. it. Yeah. That's valid. Like I wonder if I wonder if David Fincher considers Fight Club a failure on some level because of that because of that i do because i feel like he i em- consider fight club a failure on some level because of that because i feel like he empowered yeah more of the wrong people than he educated more of the right yeah people. i yeah i would i would consider that a failure if i were david fincher yeah. and i like i never personally whenever when mm-hmm. i watched fight club i've seen it i think twice yeah the first time i saw it a long time ago i didn't view it the quote-unquote wrong way Mm -hmm. like i viewed it the correct way i think the way the way the film is trying to portray itself the way fincher attempted to portray yeah and i was like oh it's a pretty good movie yeah and then i realized you met the fandom the the fandom of it and yeah and now i think it's and and now it's not a guidebook guys and now (laughs) i can't enjoy it as much which is a weird, that's valid, weird thing. Uh, that I think that affects my enjoyment of Breaking Bad too. Like honestly, do because it, yeah. it shares that problem a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's it's not nearly as bad as Fight Club. No, I don't think so either. Example. I don't think so. Either. I think most people who like Breaking Bad like it for the right reasons. I want to believe that. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah the Skyler backlash was um, gross. Um, yeah, gross. Yeah. Because God, Skyler was great. Hmm. Yeah wonderfully acted very well done well written and like flawed in like just the right ways but Mm -hmm. like right almost all the time yeah i hated her sister oh yeah god she was the worst yeah and i enjoyed um what's her what's the husband's name hank yeah i enjoyed him on screen 
Yeah. And I liked watching his character, <laughs> but like he was also a dirtbag. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't yeah. like him, but I liked watching him. Although more redeemed than almost anybody else in the show. Yeah, that's right cuz he's like a he's a super jerk in the yeah. beginning and becomes more Yeah. Yeah, he definitely gets redeemed as you go on. Um I was going to change the subject. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it's been like a couple weeks since we last recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you know I was in a bike accident? No. Did you witness this? Or no. Did, okay. Uh, Are you okay? I am. Okay. Good. Uh, I was, today's a Friday? Saturday? Saturday. Today's Saturday. Two Mondays ago. Okay. Or three Mondays ago. So it's been a little bit more than two weeks. Okay. Um, I was riding my bike. I was out for like a... I was attempting to do a 50-mile bike ride. Okay. Which I've done that's before. A, that's a lot of miles. It's a lot of miles. I was 40 miles... Where do you go for a 50-mile bike ride? Sorry. Um, this one, I went uh, I went down 360. Okay. Uh, and then went west on bee caves. Okay. Uh, and then turned around at 25 miles. Yeah. Um, it's a good ride. Like those are really nice. Like yeah, I've I've ridden that road. Yeah, nice and hilly. Yeah. And, and stuff. Uh, but it was wet that day. Oh, wasn't like raining, but it was just the ground was slick, wet. Yeah. Um, and so I'm. I did a little. It's hard to do a U-turn on B caves itself, so I like went on a side road to mm-hmm. like, do a U-turn and like hit a light to yeah get, take a left to, out. to go the yeah. other way. Uh, and so I did this U-turn on this little side road. And there was a steel plate on the road. Oh, no. And, like, I didn't notice it when I started my U-turn. And, yeah. like, my, my, the, the line of my U-turn went over the steel plate. And steel plates are very slippery when they're wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, I slipped and just, like, lost control of my bike. Oh, no. More or less. And went very, not perpendicular, but very close to perpendicular, just right off the side of the road at like 15 miles per hour into a guardrail. Oh. And it was my first time crashing on this bike, yeah. which I got. This is, this is the new one, this right? This is my new bike. Yeah. It's the first time crashing on this bike that I've had for, um, I had for like a month. Oh. And I'm still, I was still very new to uh, using what's called clipless pedals. Okay. Which unexpectedly is where your feet are clipped to the pedals. That name doesn't make any sense. Correct. Like I've 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 seen those kind of ones where you gotta wear the dorky shoes. Right. And you like clip in. But they're called clipless pedals. I don't understand. So a more it's fine. It's okay. So a more experienced rider would have been able to like clip out and like brace and like get off the bike yeah. and stuff, but like I just I didn't have the experience just stuck. to prepare it and I just went bike and body into this guardrail and i used my right hand to try to brace myself but bracing myself meant grabbing the top of, of the, the guardrail guard which is gotta be hot it wasn't hot no it was because it was like cloudy oh, okay it but it's like gross jagged rusty metal that's fair um and it ripped a huge slit.
sliver of flesh off the side of my ring finger like very deeply like almost like to the bone deep um bruised and scraped up my entire right forearm uh and then my legs like from my waist mm-hmm. down were just covered in like really intense bruises oh the amazing part of this is i didn't break anything yeah that that's great was kind of a miracle um i hit the guardrail and like came unattached from my bike and like slid under the guardrail like kind of down like a really muddy ditch so i was also just like very muddy which was gross yeah but my finger just immediately started bleeding i had blood pouring out of my finger and down my arm um i didn't hit my head yay which was great and i was wearing a helmet good but i didn't hit my head at all so i was like totally mentally fine yeah um but the miracle here is there was a police car five seconds behind me. Wow. So, like, I'm, like, I hit the ground and I, like, slide in through this mud a little bit. Uh-huh. And I'm, like, pushing myself up to get up. Yeah. And there's a police car pulling over in front of, like, right in front of me. Wow. Which was incredible. Yeah, that's great. So, like, he came out super nice, really helpful, grabbed his first aid kit. He helped me, like, clean my finger off mm-hmm. and, and wrap it up and stuff. Um, and I made the really stupid decision because I was like, my body was coursing with adrenaline Yeah, and I didn't feel any pain. Not yet. And I knew my finger was in bad shape. Yeah. Um, but he was like, do you want me to have an ambulance come out and have EMS come and check you out and make mm-hmm. sure you're okay? And like, I was completely lucid and I'm like looking myself over and I'm like, I've got some scrapes. Like I'm clearly going to have some bruises. Like my arms a little scraped up and I have, but my fingers bandaged. I'm like, yeah, the bleeding's contained. I'm feeling okay. I know I didn't hit my head. I was like, don't worry about it. Like I'm okay. I called, this was the slightly awkward part of the day. I called my ex-wife and she came and picked me up. <laughs> It's nice of her. Yeah. yeah. I, knew, I knew it was her day I know, off. I know y'all are pretty cordial. So Yeah, we're very cordial, and I knew it was her day off. And yeah. she's always telling me how worried she is about me going on bike rides and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, this didn't help. No, it didn't. Um, but she was super nice and came and picked me up. And, yeah. And we dropped my bike off at the shop. Yeah. And I took me home. Um, but I should have had EMS come. Yeah. Because about an hour later, I was just overwhelmed with pain. Yeah. Like, everywhere on my body. Um, It's really funny because I had a recent very painful experience before that, uh, getting my tattoo. Yeah. For half a second, I thought you were going to say getting divorced. But that was... (laughs) But no. tattoo, yeah. It's funny because, like, (laughs) when I got... When I... There's, there's been this progression. When I got my tattoo, my, yeah. my brother asked me before he gave it to me, he was like, what's the most painful thing you've ever done? And I was trying to think of like the most physical pain yeah. I've ever experienced yeah. to try to like gauge how well I would be able to tolerate mm-hmm. this. And I, for physical pain, I said like running a 5K in cross country. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like racing a 5K is in, That's tough. Takes yeah. an incredible amount of physical pain. Yeah. Um, but I jokingly, I was like, well, I mean, I just got divorced. So, like, <laughs> I was like, you're going to stab me a couple times with a yeah, needle? It's good. Like, it's good. I can handle it. Yeah. It's okay. Um, so, when I get home after my bike crash, 
I get in I get into the shower. Yeah. And like, you know, at first it's just like rinsing mud off me, like I'm caked in mud. Yeah. Like rinsing mud off. Got like dried blood everywhere. Like I'm cleaning myself off, seeing the bruises start to show up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like holding my right hand away from the water the whole time. It's got a bandage on it. It has a bandage on it and it has a massive wound. Yeah. <laughs> and I hit the point where I'm like, okay, like I need to take this bandage off. Yeah. And I'm going to do it in the shower because it's... If there's blood everywhere, you're in the shower. Blood's going to flow. I'm in the shower. It, I can get this wet. It'll come off more easily. Yeah. And the wound is such... It wasn't a cut in my skin. Yeah. Where, like, it, like, sliced into my finger. Uh-huh. And there was a, like, you know, a slice into my flesh. It yeah. It was a... Uh, like, if you took a, a grater to my finger <sighs> and, like, it was... It was great. It was peeled away, right? So it's a it's a strip of exposed flesh. Oh, this hurts. Um, okay. About oh. about like half the length of my of the inside of my ring finger. Oh. I mean, you don't seem to be having problems now, so no, that's the good news. It's really good now. It doesn't hurt very much anymore. Um, but in the shower before I put it under water and started taking the bandage off i thought think about how bad that tattoo felt (laughs) it's like think about it's like think about that pain and think about how i'll withstand this yeah was the tattoo pretty painful the tattoo was pretty painful okay some some stabs worse than others yeah but like it genuinely was like i would say extremely painful at points Mm -hmm. um but the key to that is for very short amounts of time. Like <laughs> then it was over. Is it you, ten, in and then out? Ten yeah. seconds max, and then you're done. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, prepare yourself. And so I hold my finger under the water <sighs> and I let it get wet, like with the <sighs> with the bandage on. Yeah. And like, yeah. and like, I start whimpering. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the way that I was able to cope with this was by singing to myself. Uh huh. I made up a fun little impromptu song <laughs> while crying uh-huh. in the shower yeah. because the pain was so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I sang to myself, pain's not real, pain's not real, <laughs> while my finger is underwater and I'm slowly unwrapping this like mountain of gauze. I'm like crying, pain's not real. Pain's not <laughs> trying to force myself through this experience and the suffering. Right. And I, I finally get the bandage off. And at this point, like the exposure to the pain is no longer shocking. And I'm yeah. just withstanding. It just hurts. And I'm letting the water rinse it off. I'm, there's like, you know, little bits of dirt still there that I'm trying to get off. <sighs> and I let it happen. And it doesn't stop bleeding. It's oh, just still it just, like it's just it's bleeding. just bleeding a lot. Still. It just keeps bleeding. But I finished my shower. I got all cleaned up and everything, and I I power through yeah. singing and crying the whole time. Um, and then I spend the next couple days, like wrapping my finger in gauze. Yeah. And like I change the bandage two or three times a day. Yeah. Going to work still. Because mm-hmm. um, everything else on me was still fine. Like I relatively had, speaking, I had yeah. very visible bruises, but they didn't hurt after the first day. Okay. Um, but the nature of the wound where it's just that like peeled away flesh. Yeah. 
when you have gauze touching it it hurts when you have to take the gauze off it comes with it like yeah. you're like the thing your finger is trying to heal the gauze into uh-huh. your finger mm-hmm. and so every time you change the the band it hurts it just, it, you're breaking yeah. all that oh but it continued to get better every time and so after i think it was four days i didn't need a bandage on it anymore it was still a very raw pink fleshy yeah wet wound but it it was okay enough where i i needed to give it air yeah and let it dry and stuff and at this point now it's just a relatively small scab and there's going to be a nice scar yeah i imagine um that was my bike crash. That's pretty crazy. So my bike was yeah, okay. Really? I broke a brake. I broke my front brake and my front and my right brake lever. Okay. Just snapped in half. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, you need those. Bent my wheels a little bit, but they were able to be able to be trued mm. again. Overall, it didn't really cost me that much. It was, it was good. pretty good. I scraped up my frame a little bit, oh. which is a shame because it's new, but it doesn't really affect. It still rides. Bike. Um, but it took them a while for them to get the bike back to me. So I yeah. got my bike back yesterday. Okay. I picked it up yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. And I went for a ride yesterday afternoon. And I went to the same exact place. <laughs> on purpose yeah of course because as soon as i got as soon as i got back on my bike i was like oh like i feel a little scared yeah now yeah you gotta face that so i got back on my bike and i was like well let's face yeah let's face it and i went and i rode i rode down 360 got off at beat caves went and i pulled the same exact u-turn and just made sure i hit the turn right this time (laughs) came came through just fine you're still here felt a little little wobbly in the knees yeah doing yeah. it but i just never would have gone down there again <laughs> problem solved never turn that road you gotta not you're never gonna be have a problem it's a great place to ride your bike though oh, okay well then you're good yeah <laughs> yeah that was a good a, story it was a wild ride yeah and i like i accept that crashing as part of riding a bike mm-hmm. it's inevitable mm-hmm. uh but i wasn't expecting it to happen so quickly yeah and for it to hurt so I couldn't like I couldn't bend my ring finger for a week and a half. In no way is this comparable. <laughs> Please tell me anyway. Uh, I've started getting what I can only describe as arthritis. Oh my! In my uh, index finger of my left hand. Really? Yeah. And there are, there are days that are better than others, and and sometimes it'll it'll pull over to my ring finger or my uh, my middle finger as well, not my ring finger, but like. That's about as far as I can bend my finger right now without it starting to hurt. If can you make a fist with your whole hand, it'll hurt. It hurts. Like I can do it. Like I can I can do this, but this this is You're painful right pain. now. Oh no. Yeah. And I thought so uh for the last couple of weeks, week or so, week and a half, uh, I've been sick. I think I mentioned that that mm-hmm. uh, I had some sort of some bug, bacterial bug or something oh, and took brutal. Took some antibiotics and I'm getting better. I got like two more days on my antibiotics because uh, I waited like a week and a half before. Uh, waited like a week and a half before I went and saw a doc in the box. I don't have a GP, which I really should have a general practitioner. Neither do I. Uh, but I go to MedSpring Urgent Care whenever something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. They know me there. Um, I need to get a GP. 
I've only lived in Austin for like six years, <laughs> five or six years by this point. Um, I think it's I think it'll be six years. It's a long time. No, it can't be five. It's a long time. I lived here for like a year. That's not a long time. No, but um, but anyway, so I I got this, and my finger started hurting around the same time I got this this bug, and I was like, that seems weird, but maybe it's related. Like it'll get better. But now yeah. I'm basically asymptomatic for. My, my viral thing, I'm not coughing, I'm not sneezing, I don't yeah. know, not anymore. But my finger still, like, hurts. Like, this this action is painful. Just your left hand? Just my left hand, and primarily just my index finger. Sometimes when I wake up, it's worse in my uh, ring finger as well. Like, it's worse, it's the worst in my index finger, but I can feel it in my ring yeah. finger, my middle finger as well. And, like, it's the symptoms of arthritis. Like it's it's painful in the joints. Uh huh. Um, it feels hot. It's worse in the morning. Wow. Yeah. And if I had a GP, I'd go to them and be like, "Hey, my finger hurts," but I don't. And so you yeah. can't go to urgent care and be like, "I think I have arthritis." Like, yeah. What are they gonna do? They're gonna be like, "Okay, go see a GP." Yeah. <laughs> Like if you've got if you've got like snot coming out of you, they'll give you some antibiotics. But like my finger hurts, and I said my finger hurts, but they didn't care when I was at the GP. Yeah, uh, and like I've had no recent trauma. Like I haven't had a bump no, crash. Yeah, no injuries to your finger. No. Do you? Um, what does your left hand do while you're working? Are you using this on a keyboard a lot? Is yeah. it perhaps a carpal tunnel RSI type of See, thing? See, I've wondered about that, but I don't. The majority of my computer work is, is mouse-based and is done with my right hand. Okay, yeah. Like, I do some typing, but not a lot. Yeah, the only thing I feel like that, like, every once in a while I'll feel, I guess I call it irritation, like yeah. an RSI-type irritation from spending too much time typing. If I'm yeah. typing a lot on yeah. a particular day, like, my my wrists will hurt because I, I know I position my poorly. arms and hands poorly at a keyboard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that that doesn't sound like an RSI thing for you. No, it 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 feels very arthritisy, which is just terrible. Is that a genetic thing? Does is arthritis a run in the family kind of? Not that I know of. of like my parents, I don't know that they have any. Yeah. Um, the only thing that makes me like more think it's arthritis, and this is just like marketing, is I take some Advil and it feels better. No, not a leave. I take a leave and it mm. feels better. Mm-hmm. And all the leave ads talk about how it's better for arthritis. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, well, I hope uh, I hope you don't have arthritis. That'd be unfortunate. Yeah, well, and it's like, and there's nothing you can do for arthritis. That's what bugs me. It's just symptom management, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take painkillers the rest of my life. Well, life Unless is they're pain. opioids. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of sorry, your life is pain or your song. Uh, I meant to mention this. Oh, pain's uh, not real. Pain's not real. Um, I was watching Roadhouse recently. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever seen Roadhouse. I haven't. Uh, it's an amazing film. Okay. Uh, it's it's. I was watching it because there's a riff tracks for it, and uh, I just got the the newest version of it because I backed their Kickstarter. Um, but riff tracks is is Mike Nelson, the head of riff tracks, is like favorite bad film, mm. and it was the first film that he riffed when riff tracks started ten plus years ago. Nice. And they just re-released a new version of it with new jokes this week. Um, and so I was listening to that while I was watching Rift Tracks. But one of my favorite quotes, just one of the best quotes in general from Roadhouse, which is a movie starring Patrick Swayze, 
of Dirty Dancing fame, or Footloose, one of those. I don't remember. Same thing. Yeah. Same movie. Uh, people don't like dancing, so... Have I told my Baptist joke on here? I don't know if I've told it on here. It's oh. my favorite. <laughs> I don't think so. It's my favorite joke about Baptist. My, my dad's Baptist. My grandfather's a Baptist preacher, so I can say this joke. Uh, why are Baptists against premarital sex? Why? It might lead to dancing. <laughs> it's my fun little uh, little Baptist joke, Southern Baptist joke. <laughs> That uh, is, uh, I'm uniquely capable of appreciating that as uh, an evangelical. Yeah, yeah. Or a former evangelical. Yeah. Because uh, evangel- evangelicals enjoy a good dance. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's my fun little joke. Oh, man, that's good. <coughs> anyway, Patrick Swayze, uh, who was famous for being in a movie about dancing, is, was he in Ghost? Was he the ghost in Ghost? He was that. Okay. Yeah. This was this was before he was the Ghost and Ghost. The movie I only know about because of a uh, scene that is often parodied. Yeah, it's so, a good scene. It's actually a really good scene. I'm sure it is. If you like the movie Ghost, Sounds which uh, I watched way like I've seen Ghost like four or five times. <laughs> I don't know why I've seen Ghost like four or five times, That's but I have four or five times too many times to see Ghost. <laughs> Ghost influenced my fan fiction when I, back when I was writing fan fiction. I do not want to know about this. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there's an episode of Bad Philosophy where we read my fan fiction. Oh my god! So our listeners at home can go find that. Is it pottery based? No. Uh, no. But anyway, what were we talking Swayze. about? Patrick Swayze <laughs> in Roadhouse. Oh, Roadhouse. Roadhouse is a movie about bouncers. At bars. Sure. It's for guys that really like bouncing. <laughs> uh, and it's it's just a perfect bad movie. Like, it's it's good enough, mm-hmm. but it's mostly bad. Um, <laughs> and Patrick Swayze plays the world's best bouncer, or cooler, as they call him. Mm. Cools off them. Cools off the bad people who need to be cooled. Um, and he gets in a bar fight because he's a bouncer. Sure. And he gets cut or stabbed or something. And he goes to see a doctor who becomes his love interest because that's how these movies work. Of course. Um, and she's commenting on his like wound. And she goes, oh, you must be in a lot of pain. To which Patrick Swayze says, pain don't hurt. <laughs> that's his like cool guy response. Pain don't hurt. Nice. And I'm just like. That's exactly what it does. It's like, but that's. But, that's all pain is. Nice one, Patrick. So your your song. Let me guarantee you, <laughs> I was coming off as significantly less cool than Patrick. Than Patrick Tracy was. was. Yeah. Um, well, you were both not wearing shirts at the same time, so that's true. That's relevant. Uh, I was coming off as much more uh, panicked and <laughs> desperate than he was. I'm sure. Pain's not real. Pain's not real. Pain's not real. It was uh, it was genuinely comforting. Yeah, that's um, good. To force my brain to think about the fact that pain isn't real. I mean, it's just it's just synapses firing in it's your brain. Just you know? a f- like it's not like the level of pain you're experiencing does not indicate the severity of. Not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Because like the pain I was experiencing was 
more intense than anything I've experienced. Really? Yeah. It was probably the most painful, like the most intense short-term physical pain I've ever yeah. experienced. Yeah. Wow. Um, but like all it really was was just like I scraped a bunch of skin off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I bet you could have like stabbed me in the leg. <laughs> And it would have hurt less. I've I've been not quite stabbed, but I've had uh, leg things happen to me that didn't hurt very much at all, actually. Really? Yeah. So two stories. Uh, the first one is uh, we had a Cutco salesman come to our house. A what? Cutco. They sell knives door to door. Wow, it's, those are real. Yeah, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's a multi-level marketing scheme. Right. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but they make good knives. Like, I think my parents still have their Cutco knives. <laughs> That's so weird. Um, and one of the knives that came in this block of knives, it had, like, four steak knives. It had, you know, a chef's knife, a paring knife, a long knife. And it had a spatula knife. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, but it was, it was wide. It was sort of ovoid-shaped. And it was good for spreading things. Yeah. And one nice. of the edges was serrated. Mm. And my mother, uh, always looking out for me, always encouraged me to be careful with that particular knife. And I was in high school at this point in time. And was like, hey, be careful, that knife's sharp. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's for spreading. It's not sharp. Right. Um, we said this over and over again. And so once you don't I do decided. Real cutting with it. No. Yeah. I decided to be uh, smarter than I actually was. And I said, no, it's not sharp. And so I lifted my leg, and I just took one swipe right across my thigh. Oh, my God. Uh, At which point, that sharp knife cut through my pants and the skin on my leg. Deeply? (laughs) Not too deeply, because I was pretty light with it. But it definitely, like, with almost zero pressure, like, Mm. the serrations alone were enough to make me bleed and ruin my pants that's the that's the trick with uh serrated knives is they're good at cutting through things yeah yeah that'll really uh so that knife was sharp oh and i ruined those pants i think we i think we took them to taylor and had had the had the cut sewn shut but (laughs) you could tell they'd been cut through by a dumb teenager um my uh my fire friend yeah uh he one time uh he always carries like a pocket knife yeah the way i do and he had a really old pocket knife and he was like this thing's not sharp anymore like it's beat to hell yeah right and it truly was like yeah. used for like trying to like cut through rocks you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. really 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 used and, and abused um <laughs> but he he goes yeah this thing's super dull like i couldn't cut mm-hmm. i couldn't cut myself with this if i tried and yeah. so he flicks it open puts the blade in his clenched fist <laughs> And pulled and, and and yep pulled it out. Pulls the blade through his clenched fist. Yeah, in the exact same manner as uh, someone would if they were trying very hard to, to cut, cut their fist through yeah. their palm. Yeah. Uh, and you know, sliced his palm open. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Yeah, because oh, a knife doesn't have dumb. to be that sharp to do that. No. So my second story of the two times when I was uh, dumb, two of the times when I was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I want to tell this story? What's the order I want to say things in? <laughs> so one time, I was with some people, mm-hmm. and I had a staple gun. And I'd looked at this staple gun before, and I'd looked into it, and I was 
98% sure that it was empty. Mm. And uh, some of these people around me were, were younger. And so I'm like, hey, watch this. And I just, just right into my thigh, <laughs> ka-chunk. <laughs> and I put a staple into my leg. Yep. Uh, did not hurt that much. So going back to your point of being stabbed, it was like I was. It, yeah. It was shocking. It, but it won't hurt that much. It didn't hurt that yeah. much. It's just a stab. Uh, I pulled it out, which is the dumbest thing to do in such a scenario. If you you know get stabbed, you don't pull it out. That's right. the, but I was fine. I, I bled a lot. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Here's the better part of the story, and I saved the context for last because I think it's even funnier. Uh, as of. Freshman in college, like the senior, the co- summer after my senior year, or freshman year of college, mm-hmm. um, I was asked by my home theater, which I think I've mentioned on this show before, uh, that I grew up in a theater, mm-hmm. uh, asked me to be the director of the first show in their children's theater series. Uh, and I was producing a, an adaptation of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? No, the one before that. Magician's Nephew. The one that's not very good. <laughs> oh, I like The Magician's Nephew. Sure. It's fine. I directed an adaptation of it on stage. An interesting thing to put on stage. It's very different than the book. It's called a portal jumping. Yeah, no portals. Oh, never mind. It's, it's different. No, no portals. Okay. It's very. It's a dark book for children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was ad- I I was directing it, and it was a, it was an interesting experience. And yeah. uh, my girlfriend at the time was my costume designer, and that was fun. And I got into a fight with my uh, set designer. And pissed him off to the point where, like, we just hated each other for a while. <laughs> uh, a lot of weird stuff going on there. Uh, like, I like I had someone paint over his set on the wall because I thought it looked bad. Ooh. Which was super petty of me. That's cold. Yeah. It was a bad-looking tree. <laughs> it was ugly. Um, so, staple gun? So... The point at which I stapled myself with a staple gun was when I was backstage opening night before going to give the curtain speech. Like how many minutes before? Maybe 10. <laughs> so did you go give the speech with a bleeding leg? Yes. Did you impromptu bandage it so it wasn't noticeable? I was wearing black pants, so it was fine. If you paid attention, you might have seen some blood. I was not well lit. Wow, that's amazing. But the people I was trying to impress were the people who were in my cast, which were mostly people between the ages of 18 and 4. Yeah, you must have really impressed them, Kevin. <laughs> like, it wasn't the whole cast, but it was like a group of three or four of them. Yep. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted to do that thing where I was going to scare them by like, oh no, I've stapled my leg. Except uh, then I, I actually stapled my leg. Sounds very convincing. <laughs> It was, because there was a staple in it. I bet they all had a good laugh at your yeah, expense. I'm sure they did. I um, hope they did. I learned I learned uh, at a very young age uh, to uh, anything that's weapon-like in general, yeah. like, don't fuck around. Yeah, it's, it's good advice. Um, I learned this because uh, my mom is just really clumsy with kitchen knives. <laughs> Like, it's just a regular yeah. thing for her to cut herself with kitchen oh, wow. knives. Um, it's never been serious. Still to this day? Yeah. Yeah. It's never been serious. That's good. She's never really hurt herself, but just 
every couple of weeks, you know, just a nice good nick with a knife. Ow. Yeah. Um, so that taught me. Be careful like, with knives. These knives will cut you. So just be handle yeah, them be, carefully. Be smart about them. And then that extended to everything else. That's that good. Is weapon-like. That's good. Um, when, you know, I had, eh, well, I guess I can't really say it about bows and arrows because my brother and I used to play tag <laughs> with arrows. That's uh, that's not how tag works. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, we never hit each other, but you know. Good. I, have I described this game to you before? I mean, I get the gist, but no. You don't get the gist. <laughs> uh, our home was on a very large six or seven acre uh, hayfield. Yeah, full of uh, hot air balloonists. <laughs> Every once in a while. Um, so you could stand at opposite ends of the hayfield and be a couple hundred yards from each other. Okay. And we each had bows. Yeah. And we had a bunch of arrows. Yeah. And we would stand at opposite ends of the hayfield and try to hit each other. Which, at a couple hundred yards, it's is difficult. It's very difficult. Nearly impossible. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't make it less fun to try to hit your brother with an arrow. Because <laughs> you have a couple seconds of flight time. Yeah. So you can try and dodge. Right. So if it is going to hit you, you can like easily step aside. There was never any real danger. Because they there? were pra- and, and they were practice tipped arrows, so okay. they probably wouldn't break skin anyway. But whenever we had like guns, like BB guns or pellet yeah. guns, like we always took those very seriously. And I took um, guns very seriously growing up. Like my my like I carry a pocket knife every day to this day, and yeah. I take that seriously. I don't mess yeah. around with it, razor blades, like yeah. that kind of stuff. They're sharp. Don't yeah, they're don't sharp. You'll hurt your yourself. Leg. Like staple guns. Like I've used a nail gun. Yeah, like, I, I would never do that with a nail gun. <laughs> yeah. I would never do that with a nail it's gun. It's a whole other level with a nail gun. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just, you know. Although Pendulette has an amazing magic trick he does with a nail gun. Oh, do I want to know? I mean, you should you should go watch it. Like, okay. go, go Google it. But uh, it's... Um, does he nail gun himself? No. Okay. Um, but he does... He does the, the premise of the trick is... And this is not what's actually happening in the trick, but this is the premise of the trick because mm-hmm. magicians lie to you. That's their job. Oh, yeah. Um, the premise is he took a ribbon of nails from a nail gun mm-hmm. um, and then took out certain ones, but memorized which ones he took out. Uh-huh. And so there were spaces, and so they're basically blank spots. So he can right. like push it into a board, and he's got a big board in front of him, and he starts dropping nails into it. Um, or he can just put it on his hand and go click... And he knows the blanks. And he knows the blanks. He memorized them. Sure. Of course he has the he entire did. thing memorized. And so we can go click, 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 click. That's a good trick. And it's, a, it's an amazing trick. Like, it's brilliant. And there's, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, it's not a memorization trick. He, sh- right. You, you, if you're a magician, you don't fuck around with your hands like that. Yeah, you don't do that. Yeah. Well, although he does, and this is not a trick, he does juggle broken glass bottles on stage. That's impressive. Yeah, did cut himself once real bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, d- is there an explanation for how he actually does the nail? No, gun? he does. He doesn't explain it. I have a theory, but okay. he doesn't explain it. I don't need to know. No. Um, we should probably finish recording soon. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Okay. But I'll let you say that. Well, I was going to tell you my story of the worst pain I've ever experienced. That was my question. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Uh, so the worst pain I've ever experienced was in 
sixth grade. I was still in school, so it was in that six month period between like school starting and me dropping out. Okay. Uh, and I was in math class. Uh, I was in pre-algebra, mm-hmm. which was mostly pre-algebra is mostly about introducing the idea of like a variable that a letter our, like, can exist. A letter your... could be a number, yeah. and it could be any number, not just one number, but any number. Right. Uh, and that's like ninety percent of pre-algebra. <laughs> I remember it. Yeah. Um, and I had, a, I had a really good pre-algebra teacher. I was really happy with her. I was I was in the advanced classes as a kid because mm-hmm. I was super smart. And um, I'm going to tell this story in a long and convoluted way, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, my pre-algebra teacher was a huge fan of Mark McGuire. And this was at the point in time, the baseball player? The home run hitter? Yeah. So this was the time when he and oh, the other and guy, Sammy Sosa, Sammy Sosa the Chicago Cubs. Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah, were home. were like competing. You're bringing to be it back. The home run race. The the one with the most home runs in a season or whatever the competition was. I don't yep. know. Yeah. Lots of steroids involved. We didn't know that at the it time. It was almost entirely steroids. Yeah. Involved. They were ninety percent steroids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she had this massive poster of him on the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not really ever the kind of kid to like fake being sick mm. uh to like go to the nurse or get out of class or whatever uh-huh. uh even like in third or fourth grade like i had a weird thing happen to my leg like i didn't know what it was but it felt weird and i couldn't walk right <laughs> and i went to the nurse and there was like there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with you but i'm gonna send you home because you you've never come in here so i'm sending you home right they they, they know when it's legit or not. yeah and i was like okay cool my mom came pick me up uh, I've still had weird leg and back things throughout my life. Like I have, I have semi chronic back pain that I've gotten like multiple MRIs for, and no explanation. No explanation. Ooh. Back pain is one of those things people just don't understand. Backs are complicated. Yeah, and the the short answer, like if I go, if I went to a new GP and I got a new doc right now, they'd be like, "We'll lose weight," and like that's not the that's not the problem. Right. Like I've been skinnier, I've been heavier. Back pain, regardless. Right. It's like, nope, lose weight, you're fat. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's what doctors tell you if you look like me. It's a very easy thing to just go to. Yeah. It, it's kind wrong. of why I don't have a GP. It's wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, let's find an actual cause for what's going down. You're, you're fat, yeah. lose some weight. Uh, let's wait till you're, you make yourself perfectly healthy before we're we capable and, yeah. of improving your yeah. health. Yeah. Well, and tangentially being fat has nothing to do with your health you're right yeah you're all you're right <laughs> not related mm-hmm. but i was in pre-algebra class uh and my stomach started hurting hmm. really badly and i was i was not sure what was going on um like to the point where i was doubling over in my chair like and we had those little like desks where the chair and the desk was all together, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was like turned sideways in there, like doubled over, like clutching my stomach. Uh, were you making it obvious and like making a scene, or were you trying to minimize it? Uh, somewhere between those two. So like I was trying to be quiet about it, uh-huh. um, but I also kind of wanted someone to be like, "Kevin, are you okay?" So um, so you don't have to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to have to like make a scene or make a thing about it. Um, but after like 20 minutes of this, like I can't do more. I go to my teacher and like I have to go to the nurse. Oh my gosh! And it's like, yeah, you seem like you were you were having trouble. And I'm like, why didn't you say something? <laughs> uh, and so I go to the nurse and she can't figure out what it is. Um, and while this is happening, 
the pain starts migrating south. Um, so what started in, in my stomach is moving into my genitals. Oh my God. Uh, and, and this is scary. Like I'm, I'm 11 and I go home, like the nurse calls my parents, I go home and it's just getting worse. And really at this point it is my testicles. Like there is something wrong. Like localized pain. Localized right there. to my testicles. They are in pain that I cannot to this day subscri- like describe. Oh no! And we're worried. Like, like we're going to the hospital. Like something is bad. That obviously means something terrible is happening. Something terrible is happening. And I go to the doc. I go to the we get to the hospital. I think it's a children's hospital because I was a child and there was a children's hospital there. Yeah. Um. And a doctor comes in, like they, they don't have a urologist in right now, which is who you really need is a urologist, but they bring in some other doctors and they're, start, and they're talking um, and they're worried because it might be a testicular torsion. I don't know if you know what this is, but if you watch the Venture Brothers, there's an entire episode about it, which was super vindicating later on in life, but we're not there yet. Um, there is, there's a, so... Um, biology lesson if you are a person who has testicles uh they're they are um they're sort of the the ball itself there's the nerves and veins and things that lead off into the rest of your body uh-huh. and there's the scrotum outside of it right and those are are loosely connected um so that they stay oriented properly right the scrotum to the actual testicle um and it is possible for those to become loose and for the testicle to twist itself, which means that bundle of nerves and veins that connect to the rest of your body can become twisted and cut off, like bending a tube so as to no, so no blood flow gets into them. Oh. And if that happens, you have about eight hours from the time of torsion to save the testicle, to go in and perform surgery and untwist it. Whoa. Or you will lose it. And they're... There doesn't have to be a... There's something that causes this. Injury can cause it, but it can just happen. What? Yeah. It can just happen. forever paranoid about my testicles now. It's okay. You'll notice when it happens. (laughs) You'll notice. Uh, And so, so I've got... A parade of doctors coming through because it's children's hospital. Uh, the Dallas Children's Hospital is also a teaching hospital, oh, and they've yeah. got and they've got a eleven year old boy in here who might have a testicular torsion, which is something to learn about. What an opportunity! <laughs> and so they're bringing people in over and over again. Um, at one point, they ask my parents to leave the room, uh, and they and and they say, you know, you just need to talk to you by yourself. And as my parents leave the room, they're okay with that. And they say, you know, they say, I have to ask this: Have you had any sexual activity? And I'm like, yeah. nope, I'm, I'm 11, but no, I know you have to ask, but no, I haven't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even sure I could at this point in my life. Right. Did you go, um, you gross cooties? No, I don't think it was that bad. I was, <laughs> I was weirded out by the question because that never, that not even occurred to me. Right. It's like, no. Uh, but they had to ask, and that's valid. Like, that's a diagnostic question, and I know I wouldn't necessarily tell my parents if that were the case. And it's a relevant question. It is. Yeah. And so it's, it's fine. They brought my parents back in. They asked you about sex stuff. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my parents aren't dumb like they knew what was going to go on yeah, yeah. Um, and they've called the urologist but he's not here 
um, yet. And there, there is a yeah, there's a potential for you to lose it. Like, like wait, we don't know what it is yet. Like, we're trying, we're, we're waiting for the urologist yeah. to get here, who was at home because this is you know. 10 o'clock at night by this point, by the time we actually in, are going through all this stuff. Oh, wow. Um, so there was, there was a delay between and like getting out of school and getting to the hospital, and, you know. Right, right. Um, all this sort of stuff. But there's a concern that might be the case. And we're, if that is the case, we have a very limited window to save my testicle. Wow. And, and of course, a lot of people are coming in and squeezing it. And squeezing it hurts. Uh, <laughs> Because of course it does. It does already. It does already. Uh, but this is worse. This is this is outrageously painful. Was this a like a mortifying experience as an eleven-year-old boy? To not as much as I would expect. Because are you just more focused on the pain? I'm just in lots of pain. Getting the pain to stop. I'm just in lots and lots of pain. So a parade of people coming in and squeezing your testicle is like secondary right. <laughs> to yeah. the amount of pain I'm in. And they're not giving me the drugs, so they don't want to necessarily put me on anything until they know what's going on. Right, exactly. Um, and eventually, the urologist, urologist gets there, um, and he comes in and he squeezes my testicle harder than anybody else has so far. Uh, as my dad put it later, you, I, I hit the ceiling. Like, I was, like, I can, it's a weird thing, I can snap my toes. Um, like, not specifically, what? but like here, like, I can... Oh, okay. Like not, it's not like a full snap. Oh, but I thought you meant like no, full not on. quite like that. But I, but I can, I, I, it's yeah, I can. And I, I was doing that to like take my mind off of anything. Like it's a, the, it's it was a, I didn't know what else to do. I was in pain. I, I can do that too. And yeah. a guy had me by the balls. Um, and oh. he squeezes harder than anybody else so far. And he goes, "Oh, I know what this is." And I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks." Um, so it turns out there are. Um, on most testicles, there are two little things called the appendices, appendices or appendixes, okay. um, which are two little useless nubbins on each of your testicles. There's oh. two on each. I didn't know that. Most people don't. <laughs> don't need to. Because <laughs> like most appendices, they don't do anything. Or they don't, they have, they're vestigial. We don't know what the purpose of them is. Right. It does, you, know, you can lose one and you, nobody cares. But in a certain percentage of prepubescent people with testicles that can get twisted and the symptoms are almost identical to that of a testicular torsion huh because the same thing's happening it got twisted and blood flow and nerve endings and all that sort of stuff got disconnected and so the body is panicking and trying to fix it but it's to this appendix not to to the testicles the testicle as a whole yeah and he drew me pictures like it was just a, it's a little nubbin on the testicle itself. How can you tell that from a squeeze? Squeeze it really hard. <laughs> I don't know. I was 11. <laughs> and, and this is good news. Because if it's one of these appendices, you don't do anything. Like there, It's not a life-threatening situation. My testicle is not in danger of being you just let falling it, off. You just let it die. You just let it die. Which, of course, means a large amount of recovery. And so it's basically, you know, what happens is it dies and then your body absorbs it and you're okay. Right. Now, you're in pain this entire time. Uh, you take drugs and that helps. Sure. Um, I walked with a cane for a couple weeks. A couple weeks? Yeah. It takes that long to recover from the pain? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I was in pain the whole time. Right. Because when it died and my body started absorbing it, my testicle, uh, technically one of them, the one that had the torsion on it, swelled up to about the size of a grapefruit. <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh. I want to tell you a side story uh, that's related to this. <laughs> so I was I was not an athletic child. I'm not an athletic adult. I'm not. That's not my my strengths. Uh, and there's one thing: if you're not an athletic child, you hate it's it's PE, it's phys ed, mm, as mm-hmm. they called it in uh, middle school. It was a PE in elementary school. It's phys ed when you go to. It was always gym class for me. Gym gym is also an option. I think we called it physically phys ed. Uh, and I did not get along with my phys ed teacher in, in sixth grade. I didn't get along with my phys ed teacher in any grade, but in sixth grade in particular, I did not. Uh, and she had a very strong tendency to make us run laps. Just And I didn't run laps. I walked laps. And I didn't care. We didn't get along. It was mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, now, while this is happening and I'm recovering, again, having been to the hospital um, and said I'm going to have a couple weeks worth of recovery. Right. Um, I have a note that says Kevin doesn't have to take gym anymore for the next few weeks. That must have been a little satisfying. It was. It was. Despite Except the I go to the office to give the office my note rather than to give it to my gym teacher. My gym teacher, of course, walks into the office at this point in time while I'm giving the note and demands to know why I will not be attending gym class. Uh-huh. And I'm intimidated. I'm 11. I don't know what to do. And so I tell her. I say there was an appendix on my testicle that got twisted, <laughs> and I can't do anything for a while. But you asked if this is mortifying. That was the only part where I was mortified, because mm. I was embarrassed to explain it to my teacher, because she doesn't need to know. And in my mind, like the note is sufficient. It, it is from a doctor. Yeah, I am unable to participate. If there's no obligation that they know. It's no, but I the, don't know that. Yeah. yeah, but it's for the doctor to know. Yeah. That's why the doctor sends the note. Yeah, and it's okay if the like doctors are doing this because they're doctors and that's their job. Right. But having to explain it to somebody else was absolutely mortifying. I totally get that. Yeah. And that oh. was the worst pain I've ever experienced. Oh.